I just want to thank, um, I just want to thank our worship band. Um, yeah. I've gotten the privilege of getting to sit in some of their stories um, and to see God rising up a priest in our beloved Alex and um, our, all of our worship band to create a space for you to cry out, to celebrate, to worship. Um, has, it's been such a joy to watch you step into such a priestly-like place. Um, and I just wanted to thank him and thank all of them because it creates a space for us to be able to come with wherever we are and whatever's going on inside. And I know some of you might not be used to, you know, the blonde chick in the front dancing around like, is this church Pentecostal? What's happening? Um, I'm recovering from all religions. Um, <laughs> I just am an extrovert. Um, and I also have really tasted a lot of pain in my life. And I've tasted a lot of hurt in my life. And I've been freed from so much of it. I'm still a work in progress. So when I sing, or when you sing, or when you see people around you that might be singing and, and they're just really going for it, um, and you're a little uncomfortable, um, it's okay. Um, they're probably singing from a place where they see where their chains are now. Um, when you've been shackled and you've been freed from that, you just want to dance. Um, so I don't know Pentecostal or not, but I think heaven, I think is going to rock all some of your little Baptist booties because... <laughs> It's going, to be a whole, it's going to be a whole party, you know? Um, so I am so thankful to be here this morning and to enter into God's word with you today. Um, and that just sets the tone for my heart. Um, who brought their Bible today? Word. Bring it up. There we go. Word. Y'all are catching on. Y'all are catching on. Word. Word. Everybody say word. word. That's right. All right. Bring your word. Um, I got a lot of scripture for you today. Uh, because I want to really give you the context and understanding of where we're, where we're kind of going with this and the foundation of what you need to know so that you can live free. Because that's the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal for every time that we get up here is to usher you into a place where you can claim more freedom for your life and more intimacy with God. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came for your freedom and he came for intimacy with you. Um, all, everything else that you've been taught, um, it, it, that's why he came. I'm not going to say it's a lie, but he really just wants to be close to you, and he wants your freedom. And he knows that free people free people, so ultimately, he's like, yeah, go make disciples, but he won't really have to tell you that, because once you experience freedom, you just want other people to be free. So yes, go, you need to go, but you'll just want to go. But there are things that are holding you back. And I would venture to say that most of what holds you back from living the life that God had create, has created you to live has been in your mind. It has been the attack and the assault on stories that you have now believed to be truth about yourself, and now you are stuck. I know it. I've lived it. I hate scary movies. I hate anything scary. I don't even like scary, like the commercials get scary. I'm like, Get that devil stuff off my screen. Like, I'm not trying to have that. I'd turn it. 
My brothers and sisters love to scare me. So does Pastor Dave, actually. It's not funny. He'll like come into my office and just and scream. And then I'm like, that's not cool, dude. Nobody likes that. You're the only one. We don't like, am I right? It's terrible. Yeah, yeah. Natalie is like with me. We lament on Dave's assault of scariness. Um, But I just don't like scary things. But my brothers and sisters, I am one of seven. I'm the oldest of seven. And they all, I have three huge brothers. I have, one is a Navy SEAL, one is a firefighter, and one is a police officer. We have story issues. (laughs) Um, They're out protecting and saving lives. I'm saving souls. We're a whole thing. Um, And so they love to scare me. They love to take me into places that scare me. Well, they had been trying to convince me to go to a haunted house. Now, let me tell you something. I am like, I know these are actors, but I think the devil up in this place for real. Like, I am that girl. And, but they somehow convinced me to go to a haunted house. And it, it was terrible. Now, I know the rules. I read the rules. I asked them, like, they're not allowed to touch me. They're not, if there's any kind of, like, weird chance, I'm out. Like, I don't want, I don't want any of that juice on me. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm walking through, and it's, it's scary. And I am, like, behind, were you with me, Mario? Yeah, okay. So I'm, I was clinging on you. I was clinging on to somebody. I didn't even know if it was you. It could have been a stranger. I don't even know. Was it you? Yeah, it was you. Okay. I'm clinging on. I don't know. I'm blinded, blinded by the devil. So I, I'm holding on and I'm screaming and we get, we're finally getting through. Every room is just terrible. It builds on itself. It's terrible. I am, I am the most extroverted responder. So the actors like that. Where most people hate extroversion because they talk during movies and stuff, not in a haunted house. That's your favorite people. So they're like, she's really scared. Let's scare her more. We get to the very end and it's, you know, there's always a clown. There's always a clown. You know, I don't know why Ronald McDonald turned into something so scary, but he's scary now. And the clown comes up And he has, which also not really good in the acting, but the the clown had a chainsaw. I was like, I feel like we're deviating from your character role here, but all right. He has a chainsaw, the chainsaw's going, whatever, and I I flip out. I drop to the ground, ah, screaming, you're not allowed to touch me, you're not allowed to touch me, you're not allowed to, and I'm stuck. There's stairs going up to get out. My sister, my brother, they're all laughing. My husband's like, babe, Babe, let's go, let's go, we're out. I'm like, I can't move, I am frozen. It's not even a real, and I'm like, I'm gonna be chopped up into little pieces like Chainsaw Massacre, it's happening. This one actor is gonna break character and actually chop me up. That's what's going on in my head. I'm not saying I'm rational. I'm just saying, this is where I'm at. And I am like, I am screaming, and I look at my sister, and my sister looks at me like this, and she goes, hey, it's not real. And I'm like, it is to me, and you took me in here. And finally, she's dragging me up out of the stairs, and the clown is like going up. Finally, the clown looks at me, and he goes, hey, man, you could just go. (laughs) The clown had had enough. I scared the clown. Not saying I have another profession, but maybe. But literally, the clown just goes, stop saying hey, man, you just go. I was like, oh, oh, cool, we're done? Okay, let's go. It was like such a scene, right? 
And I, I honestly, like, thinking about kind of the topic that we're talking about, we're talking about spiritual warfare. I think we think of the enemy like a haunted house. Like, we are terrified to even name it, to talk about it. It's too scary. And I don't think we're supposed to spend a lot of time talking about it, but I think we need to spend some time. Because here's what I see, especially in America. There is so little knowledge about the enemy, and all it is wrapped up in is movies like The Conjuring and scary things like that. And so it just keeps us from actually naming and seeing the real effect that the enemy has on our lives. And it's much less about the scary clown with the chainsaw and much more of the assault on our story and the narratives that we believe where we don't name those narratives, face those narratives. And so he goes unchecked, wreaking havoc in your life and in your story and in your mind for years. Because nobody will face and name it because we don't really understand his power. We also don't understand our authority and we don't know how to name the places of his assault. Because we don't want to name the reality of that, we're actually subject to it. So I want to give you some, some clear directives. There is no fear in this room. For Jesus said, I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a strong mind, 2 Timothy 1.7. So we know that we don't have to be fearful, and yet what is the assault that why we don't want to talk about the enemy? Scared. Brings up things like fear. I don't want to talk about it. We have ideas of the exorcist, and we have ideas of the conjuring, and we have ideas of the haunted house, and that's what we know, and it keeps us from it. And yet I would venture to say that many of you sitting in this room struggle with the narratives in your mind against your goodness and God's goodness. So I'm gonna have you do something really quick. This is interactive. Don't worry, we're not doing anything too weird. Uh, I'm gonna have you turn to your neighbor and I just want you to say one character quality of God. Just turn to your neighbor and say one character quality of God that you know. This means everybody gets to participate. Okay, good, good. Only one, only one. Don't get too chatty. All right, now you have one more thing to do. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor one good character quality about you. Oh, it's not as loud. Oh, go ahead. One good character quality of you. You don't get off the hook, sir, in the blue shirt. Steven, tell him one good character quality. All right. You will find that in these two areas, good job, I'm starting to see smiles, good job. It's good to name good things about yourself. Also challenging, isn't it? How many of you was it a little challenging to find a character quality of God? Raise your hand, okay? Okay, good, good. How many of you was it harder to find a good character quality that you wanted to share with your neighbor about yourself? Mm -hmm. Where do you think the assaults are against your goodness? God created you, and he created good things. When we look, I talk about this a lot. I go to Genesis quite a bit when I preach because I think you need to know your er stories. You need to know the foundation of where you come from. You need to know what your genealogy is, the assault on that, your personhood. 
So when we look at Genesis 3, 1 through 7, um, you can turn there in your word. Genesis 3, 1 through 7, that Tony so beautifully shared with us. I want to show you what I believe are four ways that the enemy begins to assault our stories and assault our lives, and I believe it's still very much happening today. In fact, many of you, when I give this exam, these four areas, you might go, oh, I'm in one of those areas. People that you sit with, you might start to hear them talk about their stories, and you might see, ah, they're in one of these areas. Because let me tell you something. The enemy is not creative. Only God creates. But the enemy is crafty, and he is crafty against your story. He knows your story. And I'm not trying to be creepy, and the good thing is we're going to spend a lot of time on the story of God here and your authority in God. But I prayed today. God, let me be bold, not to, to, not to ensue fear, but to ensue truth so that these men and women can be set free finally. You see, the enemy has been studying your story since you took a first breath. He saw your goodness. He saw where you shined. He saw where you stepped in. And usually this is very young because young children are so free. They're so free. I mean, my daughter will wear a bikini and cowboy boots to the park just owning it. <laughs> just loving it. Just shining bright. I had her, I was speaking in Minnesota on Sunday at a church and I had my daughter come up and I said, Roma, what do you love to do? And she said, dance. I said, how does it make you feel when you dance? And I didn't coach her on this. I didn't even ask, tell her what I was going to say. I just said, would you come up and ask you a few questions? That's all I told her. I said, well, how do you feel when you dance? And she said, free. Her body moving before the Lord, free. Now, let me tell you something. My daughter got down off the stage, and she said to my husband later, I started to hear bad words. I started to hear that was stupid that you said that. That was not good. You, should, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have said, she started to hear this word. Let me tell you something. And then something happened, mom. Something happened, dad. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. She's 10. From my head to my feet, I felt it. God reiterating, you are good. There is beauty in this, but if you think for a second that your story has not been assaulted by a very real enemy, you, you walk in faith blind. And there is no blind faith. We have faith because we know what God has done. And we know it from the beginning of time. So we must talk about this very real enemy that is assaulting our stories and our minds so that we can claim authority over it. Genesis 3, 1 through 7 says this. Well, I already told you. We already said it. So I don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to just, you know, I never have enough time. You know what I'm saying? I just want to preach for two hours in this room. But the children's pastor, not a fan. So we notice a few things in Genesis 3, 1 through 7. We know that the serpent, which is the enemy, begins to speak only to the woman. Adam, we don't know where he is. He's off naming animals. I don't know what he's doing, but he's not there. And we know that the enemy knows that if he can pull her away from the very person, the other person that knows the truth to help ground her, that he can begin to speak whatever he wants. The number one tactic of the enemy is isolation. 
to pull you away from the, the pack, to pull you away from the very people that are gonna keep you protected, that are gonna speak in and say, no, wait a minute, you are good. There is goodness for you. You have calling and gifting. I am so glad that my daughter did not sit and wrestle out that story by herself, but that she came and told us so that we know how to pray for her. We know how to speak life on her. And now we know the enemy has seen her goodness. Don't think that where my daughter dances will be assaulted because he wants to end any kind of goodness that you will bring for the kingdom because he knows that if you understand how brightly you shine and the authority you carry, you will change the world. You just will. He wants to end it and stop it. It's that insidious. So isolation is his number one, is the number one way he begins. Many of you come into this room, filled in a room, and yet feel so alone. You hear the, you are alone. If anybody knew what you were really struggling with, they wouldn't want to be around you. Put on a better face. Yes, come to church, check the box, but don't get too honest. You are alone. Number two, he begins to make her question what she's heard and makes her question, is God really good? When he begins to say, Uh, Did God really say? How often in your own stories do you begin to hear, is God really good? Is he really for you? You're hearing what Carrie says, but is it really true? And doubt begins to plague you. And when you are isolated, doubt can have its way. And it's not that you can't doubt, but if you don't have anywhere to take that doubt, to wrestle out that doubt, that doubt begins to become your truth. God is not good. I am not good. And I'm not saying you don't struggle, because I struggle too. But the reality is, is that is not who I am. I am a child of God, but I struggle with this fill in the blank, I need to be able to take that to the Lord. But he's pulled you away, and now you've moved into doubt. And then he moves on to assaulting her identity by saying, no, you will not die. In fact, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And here's the truth. She was already like God. God said, you are made in my image. You bear everything that I have, but he began to want to give and entice her with instant gratification to be more than God. See, the enemy wanted to be more than God. He wanted to, you know, the enemy, Satan, was made in the image of God, had access to all things, but wanted to be better than God. So he pursued her with the idea that not only are you like God, but you can be better than God, knowing good and evil. And what does this begin to do? This begins to assault her actual identity, who she is made in, the image of who she bears, her face and her glory. And all of a sudden, chaos ensues. You see, isolation allows doubt to run rampant and then chaos, who am I? How can I get my grounding? How do I fit in in this world? And now we are in a cycle and the fourth thing that he does is he causes shame. What does shame do? 
and I stand firmly on this, that shame is never from God because when they were created in the garden, the garden said, and they had no shame. But the moment that they sinned, the moment that they ate of the fruit, the accusations began to come in and the shame of how bad they were made them hide. Shame does not bring you to God. It makes you wanna hide from God but Jesus, but God pursues. I think about my own story and there are so many times that I have been isolated, that I have doubted God. I mean, I'm believing and unbelieving all the time. That's my humanness. If anybody's telling you that there's some arrival, that all of a sudden you're just gonna be holy and perfect and never struggle, run from them. Because the moment we've arrived is the moment we don't need God, that we don't need a savior. The moment that you've arrived, you are struggling with pride and self-righteousness and the enemy is all up in that. I will say that for so much of my life, I have struggled with the shine that I bring to a room. It has been minimized, it has been spoken down on. My parents have partnered with that, God bless them. Other pastors has partnered with that. You're too authoritative, you're too strong, you're too, you shine too bright, you need to keep it down, little less. Don't move past me, don't get bigger than me. I'm the pastor here, don't get bigger than me. These are words that have been spoken over me. And so you can imagine the wrestle I have internally, how the enemy has said, you are too much for a room. I remember when I was five, I might have told you this story, but I was five years old and um, I was in a play. Have I told you this story? Some of you, in academy, yeah. So, but tell it again. <laughs> I was five years old, I was in a play, Hansel and Gretel. I don't know what role I had, but I'm sure I was the star. <laughs> and I came out on the play and we did it and then it was over and as the little five-year-olds, we had this little like rope that we're all holding on to behind the stage and there was something in my body that was like, oh no, they need more. The audience needs more. And I'm in a wrestle because you know you gotta obey, but the little rebel spirit in me was like, I gotta break away from this chain. I broke away, I found my way through the very obstinate drama curtain at five years old, I was very focused, got my way out and I began to come on stage as people were leaving and I began to sing, I'm a ham, I'm a ham, my mom says I'm a ham. I don't know, that was the song. And the teacher came out and she was like, um, okay, come on, Carrie, and dragging me off. And I go, make him laugh, make him laugh, make him laugh. <laughs> and I remember seeing my parents, you know, everyone's walking and everyone turned and just kind of sat down like, is the show still <laughs> happening? Is this the encore? My parents were like, like, you know, they were just like, oh no. <laughs> we have our hands full, you know what I'm saying? And in that moment, I knew, and there was no fear. In fact, I love that little rebel spirit. I love that she knew what she had to do, and it took me years to come back to her because there has been an enemy that I believe saw the goodness of that moment, 
saw the fierceness of, of walking out and claiming her rightful place on the stage and shining. And when the enemy saw that, I have had a lifetime of the assault on that goodness that that little girl brought to that room. And it has taken years for me to come back to her, for God to remind me of who I was created to be, that if he didn't want me to be this bold and authoritative, then he surely shouldn't have given me favor and anointing to do so. This is the same for you. You see, you bring goodness to the world. You bring goodness. You are already made in the image of God. And the assault comes against you in the places of your goodness. And it keeps you reeling in isolation and doubt and chaos. Who am I? God is saying, remember who I created you to be. For you have authority. Once we have understood the tentacles of where the enemy has begun to assault our story, and it started young. Think about, and don't, this is rhetorical, but think about the lie you struggle with, or maybe you believe it's truth, but the, the tone of darkness against you, even right now. You're too much, you're not enough. By the way, everyone in this room thinks they're too much, and everyone in this room thinks they're not enough. It's wild. Think about the narrative that you believed, and I would venture to say it has been thematic throughout your life. You can look back and remember some of those beginning stories and how that narrative was assaulted and those tentacles have just grabbed on. So what do we do? The Bible says that when you want to step into God, step back into who you are, all you have to do is repent. I have to repent of my insecurity. I have to repent of the places that are keeping me bound, not because of condemnation. Sure, there's sorrow and grief and repentance, but there is so much freedom, and that's why this word is so assaulted by the enemy, because he does not want you to repent, because the Bible says that the enemy tempts us with counterfeit connection. He tempts us. You see, all of those places that the enemy was working on, the isolation, the doubt, the chaos, is all to disconnect you from yourself, your identity, from God, and from others. His whole goal is disconnection. Think about how many places in your life you want to disconnect because if people really knew who I was, they wouldn't want to be around me. I don't want to shine too bright. I'll make people uncomfortable. You know what? Just silence my voice and stand in the shadows and let life happen for everybody else because the moment I speak, it's going to be assaulted because it was by people who actually loved me and hurt me and partnered with the enemy against me or people who did not love me, who were evil and horrible and assaulted my body in so many ways. And so the Bible just says, I'm not the Bible says, the enemy says to, to pull back. You have to see this for what it is. We cannot stop. We can't keep living in the shadows. God is good, but there is a very real enemy. And until we understand that we have to name what he is doing so that we can have authority over it, it's going to wreak havoc. I do this for a living. I see people's stories all the time. And they've done therapy, which is good. They're on medication, which is good because I'm on it too. Because I wanted depression to leave me. You see, it wasn't that depression was my, was my problem. It is a problem. It's part of my flawed body. And I'm on medication, and I've gone through all the therapy, and I've prayed for God to release it from me, and he's chosen not to. And I live with that, and I bring it before the Lord constantly. But here's the issue. It wasn't the depression that I felt bad about. 
It was how depression was affecting me, and that's where the enemy assaulted me. It wasn't my sickness. It was how I felt about my sickness. It was how I felt about my flawedness that the enemy assaulted. If you had more faith, you wouldn't struggle with this. I've tried. And yet the enemy latches onto it. How dare you get up on a stage and talk about God and his power and still struggle the way you do? What do I do with that? I'm going to help you. Three areas. This is, I'm kind of all over the place, but he tempts us with counterfeit connection. You need to know that he is the great accuser. Revelations 12.10 talks about this. I just want to read this to you because it's so good. Revelations 12.10 says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has now come because the accuser of our brothers and sister who accuses them before God day and night, insomnia, day and night. He goes on to say, But before our God, he has been thrown down. As he accuses us, he also deceives us, and his goal is to defame you. It's yucky. I don't even like talking. I hate it. It just feels so yucky. But there's something in your gut, I would venture to say, that you're like, this is true. There's something true about how I have been defamed and lied about and lied to and accused and tempted. You see, he insults our internal dialogue of shame and accusation to pull us away from who God has created us to be and from the goodness of God. 1 Peter 5, 8 says he is a roaring lion looking for those who he will devour. And the Bible says, be on alert, be sober-minded. Think about how many areas in your life you have had to numb so that you don't have to face the pain. So when he says, be sober-minded, he says, wake up. Wake up to the places of your story where he is assaulting. We so broad brush the enemy, don't we? He's the little like devil, like red guy, like on our shoulder, like, hey, you know, steal the candy bar. And we're like, oh man, he's bad. Or, you know, or we think of him like the movies. No, honey, I want to be honest with you. Honey, I'm 46. I can call you honey. It's insidious in your story. He goes unchecked and unnamed because you have partnered and made agreements and contracts with the enemy that says, I am worthless. Because you have data from fallen people that, that, that concur with this lie and he's partnered with this lie and you sign the contracts and we always live up to our contracts. And you are called by the power of God to break those contracts, but if we don't name them, he just goes around devouring. So what do we got to do? How do we begin to step into this, Carrie? How do we begin to stand firm like James 4 says? Stand firm, resist the devil, and he will free, flee from you. And I think that we like that verse. We don't know how to do that verse. Because we just think, well, I'm just going to pray. Okay, God, get the devil out of me. Let me tell you something. Where prayer is focused, power falls. You have to speak in the particularities of the assault. You cannot broad, broad brush it. Our prayers are weak prayers if we just pray in the upper region and don't get into the dirt of where the assault is. So what does it say? Number one, these are the four, five areas where you need to be able, where you get, where you get, not need, get to stand. 
Number one, 2 Corinthians 10, three through five says this. Let me get it. I got all these little markers because I can't get there fast enough. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, uh, 2 Corinthians 10, three through five. Jesus help me. For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war against the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive before Christ. You've got to start participating in your life. And take what you have in your head and bring it to the light to examine it. Because it is wreaking havoc. It is behind the veil. It's nowhere's naming it. Yeah, no, just keep, just keep praising God. Don't worry about me. I'm over here just wreaking havoc. You have to take those thoughts and bring them into the light and take them captive. Number two, you need to know the tone of God versus the tone of the enemy. God is good. He is good. In Psalms, uh, Psalms verse 34, 8 says this. Taste and see that the Lord is good and how happy, joy-filled is the person who takes refuge in him. You see, the Bible says in Romans 2, uh, 4, it is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. The voice of the enemy will bring about condemnation and it will bring about hiding. It will make you want to go internal rather than coming to the presence of God. And people go, well, God's, how do we know conviction versus condemnation? Let me tell you something. Conviction? Conviction will allow you to face the sin, face the hurt, face the lies, hold it, and repentance will say, and conviction will say, come closer to me. I want to heal you. I want to be with you. I want to restore you. But anytime you are thinking a thought that wants to pull you away from God, you know that you are not listening to the voice of God because God is good and he is kind and his kindness leads you to repentance, not his condemnation. For we know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 says this. Romans 8, verse 31. You shall be writing this down because you've got to fact check me, remember? What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? Hallelujah. God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised and he also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No says, no, this is not our fate. Because of Christ, this is not our fate. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. 
You see, Jesus says, and I love this passage in Luke. I told you I was all over the place. Oh, goodness, I got to find it. Now I just actually have to look at my Bible. All right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if you don't know. Here is the tag. Luke 10, 18 says this. We're almost done. He said to them, he's telling the disciples, see the disciples come running and they go, we have been seeing people freed from the enemy. We have been naming assault and they have been freed and they're wild about it. They're just so excited. And Jesus looks at them and he says to them, I have watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He goes on to praise his father in heaven for what he is doing and how he is revealing. And then he turns to his disciples privately and he says this, and this is a word for all of you. Blessed are the eyes that see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see the things you see, but didn't see them. To hear the things you hear, but didn't hear them. That this isn't about you being puffed up with knowledge. This is about you bringing the thoughts that you have before the presence of God. Bringing it out into the, from the darkness and into the light. We must claim our authority. Number four, we need to pray. This is the steps. You don't just pray blanket prayers. You pray in authority. You pray and name the assault. Depression is not my name. I struggle with it, but it is not my name. So in the name of God, spirit of depression, you have to be judged for what you've done to me. So I send you to the feet of God to be judged. And I have authority and I break this contract with you against my aloneness, against my lies. Now I know this is kind of, if you're new here, you're like, whoa. But I am so tired. I am so tired of watching my brothers and sisters know God and not know freedom claim the power of God, but not know how to claim it over their mind or their heart. You and I both know there's a narrative. You and I both know there is a place in your life that the enemy has talons on and he has been there since you were little and you've been scared to face it. So you've just been doing all the Christian things by showing up, doing all the stuff and you are frustrated and you feel isolated and suicidal thoughts are ramping up and you know, gosh, what's wrong with me? I love God. Why is this happening? Because the reality is you have to turn and face the enemy with the authority of Christ. Jesus did this in scripture to everyone he stood with. He looked at them and said, this is what has a hold of you. Let's face it and name it so that you can be free. You have the same authority. God has given you all authority to name it. Where we are going as a church, what this world needs is not someone that is bound to the places of their harm or bound to the places of their lies or their story, but they need men and women to begin to say, I was bound and now I'm free. 
that the gates of hell are not going to prevail against my mind or my heart anymore. And you have to stand in the particularities of those bindings and break them. In the name of Jesus, break them. Stand and say, where prayer is focused, power falls. So we say, God, I no longer blanketly ask you to fix my life. I am going to begin assault by assault saying, no longer, no longer will my dad have that kind of hold on me. I can free him from the power that he has over me by claiming the authority that you are my father. I am not fatherless. I am not motherless. I am not depression. I am not suicidal thoughts. I am not anxiety or addiction. I am not pornography. I am not lowly and terrible. I am a child of God. And it is now time for me to stand in this authority and break these contracts. This must happen. You want freedom? Stand with me. Stand with me. If you want freedom, it is time to stand in your rightful place in the kingdom of God. Darkness will not prevail, for I have given you authority to trample all things. You don't need to focus on it all the time, but you need to name it and know who you are and know whose you are. So as we begin to pray over your heart, we are going to actually ask God to reveal just one step, one place, your heart with God right now, eyes closed, God, in the name of your Father and your Son, reveal the place where the tentacle has a hold, where God is ready to bring freedom and victory. And all we have to do is face it and name it. It has gone unnamed for too long. And we have authority. And right now, we name this in the name of Jesus. You are no longer allowed to have power or assault on my life. I break this contract with the enemy in the name of Jesus and I send it to the feet of God to be judged for what it has done. I am tired of hearing about freedom and not living it. I am tired of being bound to my stories of harm and shame and I wanna walk in freedom. And it might be a lifelong process and I might have to come daily, God, to you and say, what do I need to break today? But I want my chains to be free for the gates of hell will not prevail, not in this room, not in our hearts, not at the Hope Collective, not in Lake Zurich, not in Illinois, not in the world. And may we be the forerunners that say we are not scared of an enemy that has gone unnamed, but we will stand by the righteousness of God and claim our power, claim our truth, claim who we are, that the garden was meant for us and we bear the image of God. Amen? Amen. Come on. Let's go. Your 